0: Welcome to Bonafide, conversations in good faith, about faith, with Jonathan Stormon. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Today we've had a national tragedy. Christianity, it's under siege.
1: Study after study shows Christianity is not the force it once was. But we are going to protect Christianity. Even before COVID, a growing number of Americans were moving away from organized religions.
0: The group called Religious Nuns has steadily grown. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Bonafide. I am here today with one of my first college acquaintances I ever made, Joel. Uh, Joel, you may not know this, but that French class, I was homeschooled my whole life. And so when I walked into that, was it 8 a.m.? I uh, it was early. I don't know if it was
1: eight. M- might have been.
0: I think it was. When I walked into that classroom, it was the first classroom I had ever sat in my life. You're kidding. No, I was terrified. <laughs> I was so afraid. Um so Would you seem to I, fit in fine. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a fun. That was a fun class. What'd it you was. get? What'd you get? What grade did you? I got get? I got a B in that class. Me That's too. The B I got. Okay, okay good. <laughs> it well, was I, hard, right? It was hard. I don't. I remember y'all making fun of me because I was like parlez-vous français, <laughs> and and I wasn't trying to be silly. That's just. I mean, you're from Arkansas too, so yeah. you you yeah, you to that. be able to yeah. So, um, anyway, we. Freshman year, we get to know each other. Um, we had a, a kind of crisis happen in that class. One of our yes. classmates died, and yes, um, that was that was a pretty difficult kind of existential yeah. thing for me. But so since then, you know, like we, our paths have gone different ways. Um, and I'm a preacher, and you grew up in Church of Christ. Yes, so I affectionately call you acapella atheist
1: <laughs> that's fine
0: yeah I, I like that but but wasn't it because you originally said something about really enjoying acapella music
1: yeah yeah i i i i, I actually still i actually go to church on occasion and i will only go to a, a acapella church of christ because that's what <laughs> makes me that's what brings me comfort yeah so, yeah gotcha yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: I don't believe in God, but you keep the fog machines <laughs> and guitars out of here
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs>
0: and that's because that's kind of the, the church of your childhood and stuff
1: yes yes and i'm I, I occasionally I will go back just for comfort it's like comfort food mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and I want and i I mean I just want it to be like the way I remember it,
0: yeah and, and now you're a history professor. So yes. one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you when I found out that's what you're doing now is because – and we corresponded a little bit, and maybe we can get into it after. I, I would like to hear your story, but yeah. I am a believer now after my own deconstruction. So I'm a believer because of history, okay. and um, you, you went another direction with that. Um, so – Okay, freshman year, you come you come to Harding and you're get a, get a
1: history degree.
0: Yeah. And you're a believer
1: at this oh, point? Oh, I'm I'm a I'm a staunch believer. I have never doubted and I'd never met a, a non believer before in my life. I I didn't hear the first I remember listening to the radio, maybe pe- uh, uh, public radio, and someone was interviewing and Bill Maher, a yeah. well known entertainer, atheist. Outspoken atheist was being yeah. interviewed. I was probably twenty-eight years old, and I could not believe the things that he was saying. He how aggressively he did not believe in God. Yeah, and yeah. I ne- I had never heard that before. I'm in my late twenties, and so mm-hmm. that 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 was the first time I remember ever hearing someone, pro, you know, so forcefully denying the existence of any any deity.
0: Hmm. And so did I, was, that, I-, I was a. Mm-hmm. And that's a, so basically just keep our kids off the radio. That's what I hear you saying. <laughs> that may be
1: what, what, <laughs> the, the the start of the slippery pole, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had been a strong believer, had had strong faith all my life. My parents, my family, uh, Church of Christ people. Uh, grew up in rural rural Arkansas. Attended a congregation of about four hundred fundamentalist Church of Christ people. Loved loved my childhood, loved that church, loved my family, and uh, my faith didn't start to slip until my my uh, early 30s. Did
0: you, was there like a
1: precipitating event or? Uh, I, I, I went to grad school and uh, worked on my history, my master's degree in history, and I started actually working for a The city that I lived in had a congregation of about 700 members, and I started, they they created a position for me on their staff. So while I was getting my graduate degree, I worked part time uh, on their ministry staff. I'd never been, I wasn't trained to do that. I was just, I was just really on fire for God at that point. And so I did that for a couple of years while I worked on my master's degree. When I finished, right before I finished my master's degree, I quit that position, not because I didn't believe anymore, just because I thought my job was done and it was someone else's time to take take over. But then within the next few months, as I, as I finished my thesis, then I started to uh, have doubts and I started reading books that... Um, uh, would have been considered dangerous for me by, by yeah. a lot of Christians. Yeah.
0: What like? Can
1: you tell me? With,
0: like Richard Dawkins? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I I wasn't reading Dawkins or Hitchens or any of those guys at that point, but I was reading uh, this uh, history professor, religious studies professor out of uh, University of North Carolina, Bart Ehrman, and he yeah. has a, a similar
0: Church of Church of
1: He he. Well. He might have had some connections to the Church of Christ. I think he was more fundamentalist Baptist, but maybe – maybe. Oh, was is that right? For some Christ. reason I yeah. thought
0: he was Church of Christ.
1: I don't uh, – you might be
0: thinking of Michael Shermer.
1: Michael Shermer went to um, uh, Pepperdine, and he was oh, Church of Christ.
0: Maybe maybe Bart Ehrman is Baptist, but he went to OCU or something. No, he went to Moody's. I don't know this college well. Moody's okay.
1: Bible something. Then maybe uh, I just got anyway, that wrong. yeah. Um, he uh, he had written some books about how the New Testament was written,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I I actually did my thesis, my college thesis on Paul's letter to the Romans, where I fleshed out who the what Romans were, were who are these people he was writing to? You know, he'd never been to Rome before, but he's writing to a group of Jews and Gentiles who aren't getting along. So I in my thesis I fleshed that out. Well. As I was writing that and studying and and researching it, I came across Bart Ehrman and these books that he had on how the New Testament was put together and how those books were w- – letters were, were written. Yeah. Um, and that he, – he's one example of a person who um, I had never – until I started researching for that thesis, I had never read non-Christian <laughs> Uh, books on Christianity. So this was my first exposure to what non-Christians said about how the New Testament was written.
0: And Bart Ehrman's a smart guy. I mean, he's no slouch when it comes to being a scholar. Yes, yes. He's probably one of the number one
1: Religious studies scholars in the United States who's who's dealing with Christianity, and and since then I've read several of his books, which have all been influential on me.
0: So Bart Ehrman is he's a text criticism guy. Um, one of the things, like when I was at Harding, I learned about text criticism um, and source criticism and all that, which is like saying to a nineteen twenty year old, like, here's your faith crisis, um, and <laughs> and we. But it, it's helpful to do it in that kind of environment because it's it's not – like I, I think text criticism burns up Christian straw men is what it does. But those need mm-hmm. to go. Um, but – okay, so I don't want to interrupt you telling your story. So you, you understand like the New Testament as it came to be today is not how it always was and maybe – uh, I mean, I guess that changed your view of the Bible.
1: Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I, you know, I realized it didn't fall from the sky.
1: Mm. Um, these things were were put together over many many years, and cha- some of you know some of the text ha- changed over time, and uh, so so yeah, that was like the first. That was the first, um, I guess, straw, and so I continued to research for my for my thesis. But then after I wrote it. That's when the real problem started because I had basically opened a can of worms when I realized right. the New Testament wasn't didn't appear the way I thought it did. So then that opened the door for um, a lot of a lot of other books, including those by people like Karen Armstrong. I don't know. If yeah, you, sure. Your world religions Yeah. Yeah. She she had been a <laughs> nun and then she she uh, left the faith and she wrote about her experience doing that and I think the name of the book was. The stair, uh, the stairwell, or something, something yeah. like that. Anyway, she's
0: a prolific author.
1: Yes, yeah, she's real yeah. many, and 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 she she believes in compassion and all those things. And yeah, so true. it surprised me that a non-believer actually believed. You know, could be a decent human being. Yeah, could be a decent human being. So I, I just, I literally just read my way out of the faith. And eventually, it wasn't at first, but eventually, I found Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, those those guys, and others, and they had they were they just sealed the deal for me. Um, I just I just totally lost my my faith, and this is this is about in my mid thirties uh,
0: mm-hmm. when
1: I did this, which was fifteen years ago or so.
0: So you're having like you're having. I mean, what's that like? Is it is it like? Does it feel freeing, liberating, or does it feel like confusing? That, that's and- a, yeah. That that's a great question because I went
1: kicking and screaming because you know God had always been there for me. So I thought, and I had I spent a lot of time praying when I um, I knew the Bible really really well as most Church of Christ people do. I I was a I'd been a daily studier literally all my life. My very first memory in life. Is, is getting, at the age of three, a Bible, white, le- white leather, from my Sunday school teacher. So I, I left Christianity kicking and screaming. I didn't want to, yeah. and I didn't tell a lot of people about this. Um, and it, it, it was really like, you know, my arm was severed off. It, for a long time, I just could not get my bearings. I didn't know, what am I supposed to, how, am I, how can I be good now? What am I supposed to do with my life? so i struggle with that actually for several years i mean i still actually struggle struggle with that because you know it's, morality is not handed to me in a book anymore i have to figure figure it out so yeah it was very painful and even to this day i was telling someone the other day even to this day on sundays i get what i call the sunday blues because hmm. for 35 years of my life i was always at church twice twice on sundays and by Sunday evening, now I I really get down. Um, it Happens almost every Sunday.
0: Huh. Okay, so, so, so yeah, I, it was
1: difficult for me.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you for sharing that. And just to be clear, I didn't know that when I asked the question. I'm not. I'm not. This is not a propaganda podcast. Like, <laughs> you know, this is your eggs on. This is your brain on drugs kind of thing.
1: Well, that um, was a great question, by the way. I think you should ask a lot. A lot of. The people that you interview about
0: that you know one of the reasons i'll tell you i've done this podcast several times now i've done several of these interviews now and it has given me a lot more empathy for my friends that have walked away from faith because part of me wants to argue and yeah. like and i realize like for the most part now there are there are i think i've said this before um, on the podcast, but it's true. I think there's two kinds of doubt. There's is it true, and is it worth it? Mm-hmm. And the is it worth it often hides behind the is it true. Mm-hmm. But like with somebody like you, and and most of the people I've had on here, I think it really is like if there's no God, there's no God, and we're not going to pretend.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. That
1: yeah. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed being a Christian when when I left my identity was gone. It's not just that God was gone. It was my identity as a person was gone because I was, you know, Christianity, being a Christian had been so important to me yeah. all my life. And yeah. and now I was a person without an identity, or so I thought.
0: Do you ever still pray?
1: Uh, no, because because I know there's no one to listen yeah, to. Right, me, right, so right. I, yeah, right, right. Yeah, You don't I, ever accidentally I, I, do it? I don't accidentally do it. No, mm. I even even when I first left, I when when I severed when when God just poof disappeared, he he disappeared. It it caused an existential problem within yeah, me. Yeah, sure. But I I have not. No, I don't even accidentally pray. I yeah. miss praying. I miss singing. Sometimes I'll read the Bible just because I, you know, it's a familiar book. Mm-hmm. But I I have not slipped back into those habits.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, at, as I read history,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, a couple of there's there's three things that I think would be an interesting conversation for us to talk about: the Protestant Reformation and and the secularism that has come as the roots uh, from from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I think I've already belabored that to death on the podcast. So maybe we can talk about that offline because. A, okay. secular, a secular age is basically um, it's, it's this book by Charles Taylor, a Canadian philosopher who it's like mm-hmm. a, it's a thick booger of a book, but mm-hmm. it is the um, Magnus opus of secularism and people who are believers and non-believers alike are like, yeah, that's right. And he tells okay. the story of the Protestant Reformation. As a way of basically, what we've done is we've closed ourselves off to God. So um, you know, we have we have uh, it's basically like we have AirPods in mm-hmm. all the time, and we're like, why is not why is God not speaking? So so jo- so, Jonathan, can I stop you right there? Yeah, yeah. So when course. you say
1: when you, when you say we, you're talking about people in the West, of People you know, in the West, yeah. the, the, the billion. In China and, and India aren't concerned about this, and this is not a problem for them.
0: Well, or the, anything
1: they even think about.
0: So, yeah, um, it, it. And actually, it's not just people in America; it's people of European descent primarily. Well, that—that's what I mean by the West. Europe, yeah, the United well, States, Canada. But yeah. I'm saying like white people of yeah. European descent. Yeah. So, um, like atheism tends to be a white, more male phenomenon. Not always, but. In America and Europe, um, that tends to be, you know. So, for example, like African missionaries are coming to the states and in England now. Um, globally, Christian- we, we, you're not
1: talking about Asia. Let's just, be, let's just be. I want to be real. I want to be real clear about this because there are billions of people in Asia who. Sure. Oh yeah. No. We're not talking about yes.
0: Well, okay. so there so there's a difference between Western Christianity and Eastern Christianity, like Eastern Orthodoxy, Russian Orthodoxy. So that, that's um, still Europe. I, I'm I'm
1: I'm making a point here that there's a whole continent of billions of people in Asia who um, aren't part of this conversation because they have other ideas about religion and sure. philosophy. Yeah.
0: And yet, there's more Chi- there's more Chinese Christians than there are members of the Communist Party. Like Christianity, yes, is, Christianity
1: is growing very quickly in
0: China. That's right, and and in India as well, like southern southern India and those kind of places. Um, but so, a secular age is basically saying that um, it's the culture that we have created um, that has made it to where we're buffered selves. Um, so that's one conversation we could have. But the the other one that um, I think is maybe a little bit more interesting is um, how you read history and like why the early Christian movement flourished at all. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Because I mean, you're,
0: you're a history guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: So when I left the faith, history had a lot to do with it. It it didn't have everything to do with it. And I, let me, let me be clear about something. I did not leave Christianity or religion or the faith, because I was angry with God. I loved God so much. Yeah, and it yeah. was, again, let me just reiterate, it was so painful for me to leave him behind. Yeah. So that, that was not, I was not, yes. And so history had a lot to do with, with me leaving. Science also did too. I'm not a scientist, but I started reading science books. Let me, can I just go off on science? Yeah, yeah. In just a second. So yeah. We probably won't come back here. Um, as soon as I started to question my faith, I started thinking about, well, what about evolution? So I grew up in a – I was educated in a public school in Arkansas. We didn't talk about evolution. I went mm-hmm. to Harding University. We didn't talk about evolution. Um, I didn't start – I didn't learn about evolution until I was probably 31, 32, 33. That's when I first started reading about it. And so I read about evolution. I read about the Big Bang. I read about all, the, all these science books, which um, – are behind me as I sit in my office. <laughs> I have like shelves of them that that I just I was thirsted for that stuff because yeah. I'd never heard it before, and so that had a lot to do with my understanding of what reality is. What's the best way we can understand reality? Well, we could we could go by these ancient religious texts. We could go by uh, uh, Herodotus uh, and, and his histories, and that would help us understand the reality of the past. But of course, he has a lot of gods and goddesses in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, or we could just use, you know, critical thinking in the scientific method, which I believe now to be the best way to understand reality. So I just say all that to put science, I, w- I want to give science its due. Sure. Um, it, Can it, I say two life. things but, about that? Absolutely. Go ahead.
0: Well, you were going to. No, no, no. I was, I was actually
1: going to go back to history. So go ahead.
0: So um, science, the scientific method, has its roots in Christianity. Like, that's. That's a historical reality. And basically, what, what, um, and this is Charles Taylor Reformation. So, before people just thought the way you would, uh, understand the world is you're in, intuit it. But, um, there were some Christians, gosh, the father of, of what we call the father, father of modern physics, not Newton, although he would be one of those, even though he's a sketchy kind of Christian. Um, the, well, everybody is. But, uh, gosh, what's his name? It's like Weber or something. Uh, he said, well, it's not just that our sinful nature is like we do bad things. It's like even our, our perceptions and our mind are broken. So the only way to really understand the world is by me- being able to measure the outcomes against some kind of – and so that's, that is that um, is part of it. But there's a philosopher named Alvin Plantinga who has this metaphor about a man looking for his keys and he he lost his keys and he's, it's night and he's looking under the lamp and uh, people are asking, did you lose your keys under the lamp? And he's like, no, uh, but this is the only place where there's light.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that parable, I think, is helpful for, I think there's a difference between science and scientism. Um, and I think, you know, thirsting for it, Christians, like I think the fault, the faith science dichotomy is is not helpful, and there's certain things you don't want sign like, for example, at at a funeral, you don't want somebody to stand up and say what the beloved person's carbon is. Mm-hmm. You don't want to mm-hmm. say like they were three parts hydr you know whatever. you want them to say another kind of truth. Mm-hmm. and I think. There is a there in part part of the problem that we have about just being human in the West is oh science cannot do everything it's being tasked to do. So like I think it, I think science when it comes to like building bridges, I want science, not a priest. When it mm-hmm. you know, but I think there there is. A great overreach often when it comes to science as a way of um, talking about human rights, for example. Um, or the political world that we currently are in. OK, uh, well,
1: so, what's what's interesting about what we are talking about is there are those who are starting to use science to define morality. Um, Sam Harris is one Um uh, there. They're, I'm looking on my shelf to see a, a particular book. Um, uh, Alex Rosenberg is another, and and I mean they're so, – so this is beginning to happen, and they, they make a lot of sense. I can't tell you exactly what they're saying sure. because I'm, I'm not smart enough to, to yeah. be able to regurgitate it.
0: Me either. Um, I got it. But, what would their uh, morality look like? Well…
1: Uh, it would look a lot like what morality looks like today, um, except, um, you know, there's no room for being forced to love a deity or anything like that. But, you know, th- there are reasons why I don't go out and rape women. I mean, God, I, I don't believe that. I don't I don't get that direction from a religious text. I get that because I don't want to hurt a woman. <laughs> um And if I cooperate with that woman and perhaps her husband, then they will cooperate with me. So, so there are reasons, there are evolutionary scientific reasons for why we cooperate and why we want, why I want to protect my children from harm. It's not because I'm a good, good person or because God told me to protect my children It's because deep inside, I want my DNA to carry on and, uh, you know, evolution is the reason for that. I want to think that I'm good. That's the reason why I want to protect my children. But in the end, it's because I, I want I care about my genes and I want them to yeah. flourish. Um, so, so yes, science can absolutely um, have something to say about about morality. And I don't mind. I mean, you're talking about how uh, the 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 scientific me- method, even critical thinking, comes out as a result of Christianity. Well, yeah, because. Christianity was really the only game in town in the West for like 1800, 1900, maybe even 2000 years. So there's no way around that. But the problem with critical thinking is that it will kill religion and that scientific method will do the same thing Um, because religious claims can't stand up to the scrutiny of the scientific method or you know, critical thinking in general. So, so this is this is a problem that you know those things spawn from Christianity, sure, but um, it, it's also killing Christianity.
0: Well, it's well, technically speaking, it's not like Christianity's. I, I, I'm not sweating about Christianity. I don't think. Um, you know, part of the reason I can do this podcast is it's not my job to defend the Christian faith. The Christian faith defends mm-hmm. me. One of the things I would say is: There anything that science can't tell you that's true anyway?
1: Because
0: um, I, I would, I would. Um, like, does your wife love you? Uh, I actually, I'm
1: divorced now. Oh, sorry, my like, girlfriend. So sorry. No, <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. But she did- she did love me, and my girlfriend loves me for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, no, please. That you, you had no idea, but yeah, yes. I mean, I know. Let's get to your point. The point is, yes, she loves me. But what is what does that mean? That means that she. I mean, does it mean some, you know, romantic rock song kind of love, puppy love, or does it mean that if she takes care of me, then she has a better chance I, of surviving?
0: Okay, so I think you're now in something further away from the scientific method than – than Well, that's looking evol- under, I mean that's evolution. I think sure, uh, so, yeah. uh, but that's sociology in evolution, which is not as certain as looking under a microscope. And and what you would see under a microscope is that that feeling of love is really just chemicals. And so one of the yeah. challenges of like the modern age – is how to live in a world with a full a full life without cheapening the things like love and joy with really this is just a bunch of chemicals and that reduces it. So like there's a, a guy named Andrew Root who makes the point. He's done a lot of work on secularism and faith. And his point is do you ever see that video where um, the dancing gorilla experiment from Harvard yeah, yeah. Okay, so we basically... He walks between basketball... That's right, and people yeah. people ignore <laughs> the most obvious yeah. thing of all. Um, so they're counting the passes between, <laughs> yeah. and, and they ignore There's a giant gorilla that's dancing between, and they don't see it. And I think, th- and this is what Charles Taylor is saying in a nutshell. This analogy is not new to me. It's Andrew Root and Richard Beck, but what charles taylor is saying is between team technology and team science we're passing the count the the and we're missing the most obvious parts of reality which so for believers god is not something you put under a microscope it that's a categorical error it's in him we live and move and have our being like god sustains all things and um I don't see a ton of like. Go ahead. It seems like that's a place to jump off. Well, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I used to, to love to
1: say things like that. But for 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 me, who's now, I don't buy that. To me, that's you know, it's 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 a magic incantation. It's it's almost gibberish because hmm. uh, you know we could I could say there's a green spaghetti monster out there that you can't see. But trust me, he's there because I've got this old writing that says he's there, and you know you can't use any critical thinking uh, to to figure out where where he's there because you know he's just there. You got to trust me.
0: Yeah. Um, you, so so w- that's where history. Saying, huh? So for me, like that's where history would be. Like, what do you do with the resurrection? I mean, obviously, that you don't believe that happened, but yeah. uh, some. Some really good historical data would say the tomb was empty, probably. Right? I mean, is that is that fair from a history standpoint? Uh, some
1: some though. Here's what here's what I think a historian can say. Some some people thought that the tomb was empty. Okay. As a historian, there's no way to know was that tomb actually empty. Sure, so sure. Historians really can't deal with that. Uh, right. But, I mean, all, all we can say is. Those people, whoever, three of them, a dozen of them, however many, they were convinced that the tomb was empty.
0: That's really – that's yeah. all
1: I – mean, so, so I mean, we have to – as a historian, I don't know what to do with that.
0: So, um, and that that's the kind of modesty that I'm trying to get at with the um, other stuff about evolution and sociology. Like, I think that sounds scientific and it has like the cover of intellect pseudo intellectualism and by the way i know i know the theory i'm not like trying to say this is something you made up i know like you've all have all um are you've all homo sapiens yeah 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 Yeah. that guy um so i'm not i'm not trying to throw shade at you um but it sounds pseudo intellectual and so it sounds like oh this is scientific and it's not so with the same kind of uh, modesty you speak about in your own discipline is what I'm trying to get because I find that to be incredibly naive about human nature. Like, that's me throwing shade at him now. But, mm-hmm. um,
1: Wait, why do you, what are you talking about specifically? I'm a little, confused. um,
0: I don't think human beings cooperate well. I mean, I, it, I think it's unfortunate timing to make that argument in 2020 and 2021 where it's like, okay, everybody, if we just put on mask, okay, everybody <laughs> just wear mask. For six months, and we're you know, or um, I think, tribalism and yeah,
1: but Jonathan, walk around New York City, and you'll see how what I mean. We are a primate that cooperates to the extent that that I can be sitting here on the third floor, and I'm not afraid that I'm going to fall through because I trust that everyone who nailed you know a lot of cooperation went into this and you know we we can find some around the edges we aren't cooperating no we're butting heads but i mean we are a cooperating species who got to where we are by by just by cooperating and trusting each other to some extent
0: so, so I, it, I don't here's here's the hi- the history of it uh well gosh <laughs> that's so that's so arrogant to say to a mm, professor of history mm. so in no. uh do you know like Tolkien and Lewis and all these like uh, uh, T.S. Eliot, A.W. Tozer, these people. So they are atheists largely, not Tolkien, but um, they're they they buy into the secular kind of march of progress of history. We're getting better and all this stuff. And human beings are basically good. And they co you know, they're doing that. And then World War One happens and World mm-hmm. War Two. Mm-hmm. And it it basically pantses. That mm-hmm. idea of human nature, and so they're kind of like, uh, and so they return to faith. It's not just them who, I'm trying to think of some other examples, but that that was a really common thing mm-hmm. in them that World War II was kind of a slap in the face to like human beings are not who we thought they were. Yes, yes,
1: yeah, especially World War One because before World War One, the United States and parts of Europe went through the Progressive Era. We were improving and government was helping and things are getting better and progress, progress. And then uh there's this the Great War as the first world war was called and everyone was disappointed. I mean people, philosophers has had existential crises crises because of this. And then World War II comes along it's even worse. But what's interesting, if you look at a graph, since World War Two, deaths worldwide Due to war, have decreased to such a point that it's almost insignificant. And so, this hmm. the fact that Russia has just, you know, recently invaded Ukraine, this throws us all in a tizzy because this thing hasn't been done since the 1940s. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about with those wars, but since then, um, the world has gotten a lot better. Steven Pinker wrote a 100 like page yeah. book on how things are much better today than they've ever been in history and,
0: and yet we're the reason miserable. for that
1: yes yes and yeah he gives lots of reasons for that that we're more likely yeah.
0: to die by our own hand than by accident
1: um,
0: like they, suicide they be, is more prevalent so part of part of um, okay let me let me get to what I was trying to say with the history thing because I feel like we could talk for a long time and I love this I love. I'm, I'm so grateful for you being willing to mix it up and because this is this is, like, exciting to me. I, I enjoy <laughs> it's it. It's fun. Um, so the, it, the, the group of people that think the tomb is empty, mm-hmm. um, and they are obviously very compelling and convincing, because, and this is some really good historical data points to consider the resurrection happening. Because, you know, like the invis- invisible spaghetti monster, I know, mm-hmm. I know that kind of, like, You can't prove a negative. I get that. Except if this story is true, then you would expect God to have intervened in human history if this God is who we say he is. And um, the the one thing I know about religious people is they don't change. You and I both grew up in churches of Christ. You know Mm -hmm. that that's not what religious people do. And... Within within a few years, tens of thousands of Jewish people stopped worshiping God and keeping Shabbat Saturday and started worshiping God on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Pre-Gentile um, and, and the first century historians that I'm reading are like, that's not nothing. Like… Your weekend is a gift that comes from the Jews and the Christians, and part of it is because you, these people said not only did Jesus raise again, he raised again on a Sunday morning, and that's when we're going together to worship him in whatever form that it takes. What do you do with that
1: as a historian? Well, let's carry it a little bit further over the next few you – know, over the next three, four, five centuries… Millions of Romans who were worshiping Zeus and all these, and, and Athena and all these, you know, the Greek pantheon, they convert as well. So Christianity, I mean, basically took over the uh, Roman Empire. Um, there's a great book by Bart Ehrman about this, and it is the name of it is something like How Jesus Became God. He, he also wrote yeah, another one about that is how Christi- thing. How there's another one, how Christianity conquered uh, Rome. And I mean, there are, I, I don't remember all the details, but there are sociological reasons why, why this happened. It's a very compelling story. These are religious people to begin with. Um, Christianity is one of these rare religions that has evangelism at its core. Islam is too. Judaism is not. This is why Judaism doesn't grow mm. by leaps and bounds. This is why, you know, Hinduism doesn't grow. It's, Hinduism is not spreading around the world because evangelism is not core to its, to its you know, meaning. Christianity is, you know, you could say all religions are like a virus and some are better, more adaptable and they grow faster because they have certain characteristics. Christianity has this evangelism at its core, which makes it very, you know, which makes it grow. And it's mm. got a, It actually has a beautiful story. It see, sure. I think it is. A lot of people will say a God killing His Son the way, you know, Yahweh killed uh, his the Messiah is not so beautiful. <laughs> but I think it's beautiful, mm. and and other people are are moved by it as well. So it's got a lot of ingredients that make, you know, that make it uh, appealing. Appealing to to people, especially mm. the weak and the poor, which is has a lot to do with the first Romans were women and the poor. Those are the right. first ones who 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 uh, converted. And of course they did because this story tells them they are going to inherit the earth and it tells them they're going to be blessed and it tells them all these great things that, yeah, give me more of that. I'll take – I want that God because yeah. he's saying things that Zeus never said and that you know all these other gods – that Mithras isn't promising us those things, but mm-hmm. Yahweh is. So, yeah, you sound like you're compelling. making
0: my case right now.
1: Like, uh, well, I'm making, I'm making, <laughs> I'm making the case that Christianity. Did you just convert? On...
0: Oh my goodness! It, it... <laughs> All right, you <laughs> close yeah, will, in prayer. Close will you, pra- <laughs> will you baptize me, please? <laughs> yeah. No, um, you're already I'm baptized. Making... You, once, once <laughs> baptized, always baptized.
1: That's true. That's true. Um, I'm actually just making the case that Christianity has a lot of elements that makes it um, very appealing to to the masses. But that doesn't mean it's
0: true it's it's true yes right so um with with just the way you're telling history of the first century so basically some people think jesus raised from dead a small circle of people yeah they're very convincing to a larger circle of people even though resurrection was not something that jews believed in and that they are not idiots in the first century too, so it's not like they're predisposed to be like sure. People raised from the dead all the time. Uh,
1: I don't, I don't actually. So the Jews had messiahs. Jesus was one of many. Yeah, sure, claiming to be messiah. messiah. That's right, exactly. Um, all there of were them others who had, Yeah, other others had large followings, and I, I can't remember their names or many of the details. Sure. Um, Simon B. is
0: one that's in – Yeah, yeah.
1: But I don't know of any others that were – I don't remember if there were others who were resurrected. But I mean as far as being the son of God, Alexander the Great was the son of God. His father was Zeus, and there were other so-called sons of Uh, God. And
0: and, um, uh, Augustine – or not – good grief. Uh, uh, Augustus. Augustus, thank you. Yes. Like he was – so that language – so even – and he's also called the prince of peace. So – they're very much co-opting the language of Rome because gospel, euangelion, is a Roman word for like when a military campaign has been effective. So, yeah. Well, 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 Christianity, I mean, Christianity
1: is doing what every religion does. It borrows from a lot of others, the son of God, um, this idea of, blo- of, of, of dying and uh, of blood saving you. I mean, Mithras… Converts stood under bulls, and the bulls were cut open, and and their baptism was being bled on by this bull. So the, these are ideas that Christianity, and of course, Christianity took most of its ideas from Judaism. Sure, but it also took because Jesus was a Jew. Yeah, it also took Athenian philosophy. Plato is a huge influencer of Christianity through Paul. Paul gets a lot of his ideas about dualism and. I mean, we could we could talk about Zoroastrianism being a huge influence. So there are all these rivers that influence Christianity, and which then forms a big river of the religion itself. But I mean, nothing, none of none of this is new. Um, maybe, maybe I don't know if the resurrection is something new. I'd have to look into that. But that's that's,
0: that's so. Uh, no, it's not new. I mean, in the Greek. Philosophy, but what is new in this is that there was somebody who was born under uh, Caesar Augustus and was tried by Pontius Pilate. So, like, there's a Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton, which was life changing book for me. Yeah. Um, he talks about how that because this, this is like this kind of line of thinking really is um, Rudyard Kipling Jungle Book guy okay. and some other people. Uh. This is like one hundred and fifty years that pe- you know people started traveling and being like, "Oh man, the people here believe this." And mm-hmm. "Everlasting Man" was Chesterton responding to what was post-Christian Europe and the eugenics movement with that, that progress and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things he said is that, and I see this in, in a secular age when religion in the West is on decline; other things are on the uptick, like mythology, like we put a little too much weight on Marvel movies. Mm. And one of the things Chesterton said is that the ancient person would not have thought about religion the way we think about it at all. Like it wasn't a moral code, and it wasn't something you showed up for. It was not something you necessarily believe the way we think of belief commitments. It was more them saying not this is how things are, but more this is how, why can't things be this way? The same way that we see Iron Man give himself up for, you know, the world and mm-hmm. sorry, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but but, wait, is that how it ends? Yeah. So and part of me is like, okay, let's let's turn that argument on its head. What if what if that is because like you have, this is who God is and God we're made in his image and we have these universal longings and hopes that um but this is not like just myth and myth, myth is not nothing like myth no, is you're right. m- myth does not mean lie myth means like we are storied people but this is the myth that became history um like stepped into the world and that that does set it aside from other kinds of ancient things cuz they weren't making the same kind of claims and they definitely weren't calling people a certain Kinds of action outside of the cultic practices of like well,
1: you're, you're, I think you're mainly talking about like the Greeks because they had religion. They had Zeus and all these other gods and goddesses who were extremely immoral. They're sleeping with their sisters and raping their mothers, mm-hmm. and they they had nothing to say about religion. But then they had they so they had their religion, but then they had philosophy, and that's how you lived. You you followed a philosophy. You were um, you know a Stoic or something like that. Sure. So, so yeah, that religion was something different than philosophy.
0: Religion had nothing to do with morality. So try this on for size. <laughs> I think there's a great book by David Dark called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. Religious comes from the Latin word uh, religament, to bind together. And I, I find that often my post-Christian friends are more religious than they let on. And what I mean by that is not that you go to church or you know pray, but that your religious impulses haven't been dampened; they've just been re reshifted. Um, because we are religious creatures, like we're going. So, like uh, Leslie Newbigin, missionary, great thinker, comes back from India and he, after being in India for thirty years, to comes back to Britain, and he's like, "What the heck happened here?" Because, you know, post-Christianity hit there earlier. And he made a prediction back in the 90s. He's dead now. But he made a prediction that the religious impulses would turn from uh, Christian faith to politics. And so, and I would say like money, the first banks were temples. You know, the the Greek gods. Store gold. Mm -hmm. So the Greek god, like uh, Aphrodite, the goddess of sexuality. I think we try to put a lot of weight on the the same things. So like turning away from something is always turning to something else. And I think one of the things I'd like to do in this podcast is just to get our commitments above board. Like, okay, I get it. You're not religious in that way anymore. And it sounds to me, if I was just saying like from what I heard, it sound to me sounds to me like um science is a, a is a really big thing for you and that that might be one of the you know kind of ways that i would not you but i would say that sounds like some religious commitments um maybe faith in humanity um it, it would be does that is that make sense or is that offensive yeah
1: yeah i i let me say a few things uh, sci- here's how i look at science science to me explains reality <laughs> Yeah, philosophy, uh, uh, religion does does nothing for me in explaining reality because, again, you you take you use a for example, critical thinking and religion just simply won't stand up. But you use science to explain, physics to explain, you know, why we're not floating off in the air, and that stands up to critical thinking. So when it comes to reality, to me, the best way to explain it is 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 science. That's that's where science. I don't worship science, and I realize certain. Scientific ideas change, but the basics – science has the basics down. I mean we can we, – we know why certain things happen and why they don't happen. God is not causing that tornado. We know atmospheric pressure and those kinds of things are causing that. So we have a – we know what the, the the basics of reality. We understand that. Um, and now I've forgotten the other things that, that I was going to Humanism,
0: say. Humanism, like I
1: th- uh, yeah humanism is is really important because i mean i in a way i consider myself a humanist because i think that no longer do i look to a religious book that's you know written by peasants to some degree or that 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 reflects the morality of an agrarian people in the middle east 2500 years ago that's not my morality um, so what I have to do now is figure out why am I good? Why am I bad? And humanism basically says every person has to figure that out on their own. And it's a hard task. It's, it's actually too much to expect of people. And so you're talking about how everyone has this religious impulse. I, I disagree with that. I think everyone has naturally, thanks to evolution, thanks to the way we evolved, we have this, this desire for stories and narrative. And religion is a – can be an extremely powerful story or narrative, but, I mean, we, we don't have to believe in the Judeo-Christian God um, uh, or, or, or any other deity like that. But we have this desire for explanation, and stories have historically been it before the scientific revolution. Once the scientific revolution starts, um, then, then we start explaining things
0: differently. So, yeah, I I think humanism is great. I'm all for it. I would like to introduce you to a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay, do you know him at all? <laughs> I mean, you have heard of
1: him. Yeah, He's a, wasn't he Austrian or something? Yeah, no,
0: God is dead. Okay, have you have you looked at any of his work? Because I think the Western uh, world is.
1: Yeah, I haven't looked at it. I don't know.
0: I, I haven't read a lot of his stuff. No. So, okay, Nietzsche is. Didn't that podcast I send you? Didn't I talk about Nietzsche? Okay, you guys so, talked a lot about it. Yeah. That's a, the I mentioned the slave gene, gene, uh, genealogy of morals. There, that book, I slave morality. Have... So. Nietzsche hates Christianity for what it actually is. He says it doesn't make society better; it makes it weaker. And if, I mean, if we're just talking to pure scientific, you know, pure like human flourishing, then you need to cut off the edges that make it weak. Yep. And um, that's a little disturbing. And you know, earlier it's you true, said, but it's it's still right. disturbing. So he's absolutely right. I know, and and one of the things, like you said earlier, about Christianity being like adopted by peasants and women, um, Nietzsche's like, yeah, it's a it's a slave religion. It's a slave religion, and we need to get it, stop it, stop. So, like, I mean, but more starkly, he would say to kind of the humanist impulse today, stop being Christian, like. Mm -hmm. Um, if you if you think you shouldn't trample the rights of the poor, why, why? Like, and and one of the things that, um, I think and, and Nietzsche, you know, I, whenever I bring him up, people are always like, ah, that's that's no, like he he is. It's either Jesus or Nietzsche, in my view, as far as like morality goes. Um, and I took a guy named Jim Nichols, who's a professor of biology at ACU. Was one of my elders at Highland, and I took him to lunch a few years ago because, like you, I didn't hear about evolution until I was at Harding. Actually, mm-hmm. wow, and yeah, I was not happy with that pagan. But <laughs> no, it was it was a professor, my astronomy professor, and um, and it wasn't like this is a this is one way the pagans think about it. It was it was he taught it, but I asked Jim Nichols about this, and he he. He's a top-tier scientist, biology professor. He said, um, there's two different things. There's evolution and then there's evolutionism. There's the philosophy of evolution that we try to make the science say, and they are not the same thing. So eugenics come out of this, um, kind of mm-hmm. the idea of progress, that every new thing is the better thing, um, that people behind us were idiots or... Um, and everlasting man was helpful in that as well. Uh, but well I, let's, I, let's, go ahead. Can I? Can I kind
1: of? I, I think I can cut to the chase here. Um, so evolution, the way evolution works, is not pretty. Evolution is not kind. Evolution is not generous. Evolution kills the weak, and that's, that's right. how. That's how. That's how a species propagates. It's got a, a species. What basically what evolution say, does is it helps us. It, it's the way that a species lives in its environment, and having the weak, you know, replicate their DNA is not the way to do that. So, the way evolution works is not a. It's not a. It's not a kind mother. <laughs> it's a very harsh, harsh thing.
0: And nature. So we human. Nature yeah. is red in tooth and claw.
1: Exactly, and so. Um, I think what it sounds like what Nietzsche's doing, and other people have done this since him. So I, I suppose they've been influenced by him. But you know, we've got that on one side, and if we want to, well, we've got that on one side. But the the other side, we've got religions like Christianity that want to that want to arrest evolution and help those who are weak instead of letting them die off. So, um, and humanism. I, I guess the point that you're making, Nietzsche was making also is that humanism fits in with christianity and that compassion is important and helping the weak and uh, equality and justice all those things are important but that those are not how evolution works so what we're doing as a species we're to a point where we can we can arrest some of these horrible what we consider to be horrible evolutionary characteristics and try to change them and, and help people you know survive even though they might be weak and can't even get out of bed. Hmm. So is is that that cutting? Yeah, that is.
0: And thank you for that because I think that is something we can both kind of agree on. And I love, I want people to be humanist. Like, I'm going to get old and feeble at some point and I would like for, you know, I would like for somebody to care for me the way that I hope to care for senior saints around the year. Um, But I, I, I think the ideas that humanism espouses are vulnerable, more vulnerable than we know, and um, I I don't think it is self evident. I mean, post Christians to me strike me as somebody who lives in their mom's basement and is tweeting crap about their mom. <laughs> Does that make sense?
1: Well, well so post Christian, who is who exactly? Who? who
0: oh, I'm I, I'm I'm saying like people who, well, I mean, like you, and I'm not saying you do that. I do my like, mom's basement. <laughs> I'm saying, like, the house that is Christianity, it's like uh. there is no God, and you know, and you should care for the poor, and Black Lives Matter, which I am all for. Like, both of those things, I'm all for. But, like, you're not gonna find an evolution, or sociology from evolution why racism is wrong. Like, I don't think any history, you're going to find people a couple thousand years ago being like, yeah, of course we would think our tribe is better than other tribes. Our people are better than other people. And so it's like these, these values that are in the air that we take for granted um, that I think are good values because I, I believe in Jesus. I think he rose from the dead. And um, I don't think you can take that for granted for generations to come. So one of the things you said was like humanism says morality has to be decided by the individual. I do think it's a great thought experiment to think, well, what are we going to? I mean, I think human nature will play out, and I have a very pessimistic view of human nature, and it sounds like you have maybe more optimistic view of it. And so maybe when the time vault from 2022 is dug up and they listen to this podcast, they'll be able to, you know, as peop, peop, people are flying around on their drinking moon juice and flying around on their unicorns, they'll but, say, but John, it sounds- Joel was right.
1: Jonathan, it sounds like you're saying that you can't be good without God,
0: or the no, not to be, or the not only at all.
1: non-believers can be good is on the back of Christians.
0: Okay, so what I'm saying is, the only way that in the West non-believers can be the definition of good they currently have is on the back of Christians, and that's that book Dominion. It's not just me. So, so, so
1: you're talking. I mean, one of the things you're emphasizing here is the the importance of christianity in the in the, the history of the west which i mean no historian would deny that of course yeah. but there were a lot you know primates homo sapiens have been around for 300,000 years and so christianity's been around for 2000 so i i think it's a, a mistake to to suggest that people who live humans homo sapiens were homo sapiens who lived before jesus was born were they not good people of course there were some good people and you're just dis- and by saying that you're discarding or disregarding the billions of people in Asia who don't have a Christian background who okay they're converting now but that but what about before they they converted the Chinese back in 600 AD were there no good chinese people did they not care for their parents or did they, of course they did we don't we don't need nobody needed christianity to come along and tell us to do those kinds of things we're humans we know how to do them did christianity maybe help maybe was it did it help improve some of our understandings or some improve some of our bad characteristics well I, i'm sure that happened uh, but it's also not being not all that helpful when it comes to oh homosexual uh rights because you know god god is going to burn homosexuals he's going there's some morality in the new testament that needs to be jettisoned does it all need to be jettisoned no because we think some of it's good but um to suggest that people weren't good before before jesus was born is i don't know a big stretch
0: yeah let me let me back that up because what um trying to say I hope is more modest than you can't be good without God or that people couldn't act good people the way what I it's the mother's basement thing Mm -hmm. the definition of good that you and I currently share 90% of it and and I I don't I don't the LGBT stuff I think that is a misreading of of some of the kind of that can be another conversation. Although I, 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 am, I am very conservative when it comes to Christian sexual ethics. I'm just saying the text, the Old um, Testament, New Testament, seem pretty clear to me. But go ahead, sure, sure. Well, okay, all right. So that's that's a different podcast. But yeah. one of the one of the things I would say is the definition of good that you have is going to be very different than the definition of somebody in China in 700 AD. And, um. I think human nature is complicated, but corrupt that even the good stuff we do, we do for selfish reasons. And, you know, um, and I think the idea that you have of like, you should be generous or that you should be humble or that individual people matter no matter what their condition is in. And, and I could give a list of all these or that racism is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, these are values that came from Jesus of Nazareth. And by that definition of good, that is, those are values that are fragile. So I'm not saying people can't be good without God. I'm saying people will define good and they'll define harm in a way that I don't think um, y- either one of us would be comfortable with in 100 years
1: here's here's where I will agree with you. I will agree that um, Christianity has definitely had a a major impact on our understanding of good and bad in the West. It has influenced that sometimes for the better,
0: sometimes, for sometimes worse. for the worse. and but, I, I will agree with you on that too. but
1: you're absolutely right. it definitely I mean it's been around for two thousand years and it, it it's its emphasis is on morality. so of course it's had it's, it's influenced
0: us. But yes, one, one thing I would say, again, is if it's not true, it's not true. And the first people in the New Testament would say, and it were to be pitied above all fools if Jesus really didn't raise from the dead. One of the things that I, I'm finding as a common theme in this is text criticism and, and Bible. And I get that because I was raised like that, too. Um, and I find that. You know, I'm also trying to raise my kids and, and like what the way you described yourself, this is the most important thing about me. Like it is more important to me than my role as a husband or, you know, my job or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to pass this on to my kids well. And one of the things that I wish I could go back and say to you pre, you know, deconversion, not, not to, you know, try to control your life or anything is the Bible is not the word of God. And Christians have the, I mean, like you're always going to find people who, you know, like with what you just brought up with LGBT or whatever, you're always going to find people who um, have a pretty toxic take on stuff. But historically speaking, and this is like Sola Scriptura, Luther, I mean this is kind of, the Bible has been elevated to a level of like deity that it doesn't have in the, the kind of Orthodox Christian faith. Because the it's not like, you know, Islam has the Quran, you know, you got the Bhagavad Gita or whatever, and we have the Bible. Uh, no, we don't, we don't, Christians don't believe that. Like, we think Jesus is the Word of God, and the Bible bears witness to Jesus, but it's the stories that were put together. So we're not afraid of source criticism or text criticism, and it's right there in your New Testament. Like, some of the earliest manuscripts don't have Mark 16, 9 through 16, or whatever. And and it feels like, with fundamentalists, when you start to pull that thread, like we were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible or whatever. And when that starts to pull the thread, it's like, well, I guess it's all, it's all for nothing. And so if God, if this story was true, God became a human being, and that is the most substantial thing that ever happened in the universe. And <clears throat> history should bear witness to that. That's kind of why I say, like, I'm a Christian in part because of history. And because as I was reconstructing my faith in college, grad school, and in my 20s uh, and, and 30s, um, I, I was looking with eyes of faith for history like that. Is mm-hmm. that is that a different take on Christian faith than what you deconstructed? Um. Well, maybe maybe not really, but
1: I mean, what, the point you're making is interesting because the way I used to look at it is we fundamentalists, we don't bend, we break. And I, I mean, I can look at my life and I can see mm. I didn't bend when it came to belief in God. I, I broke because there was just no give either way. That's not quite true because my last my last couple of years, I was listen, literally listening for it, my last couple of years in the faith. I would literally spend time listening for the voice of God because I thought uh. just like I thought just like you're saying the Bible we've elevated it too high and God, you know, he, he doesn't just speak to us through a written word but let me ask you this and this is this is what I struggled with. Jonathan, would you know anything about the Judeo-Christian God? Would you know anything about Jesus of Nazareth if it weren't for the written books of your Old Testament and New Testament?
0: Um, I have no idea of knowing.
1: My guess is you would not. So I, how else? My,
0: we would be Catholic. I mean, uh, I, you wouldn't I, even
1: be. I mean, well, I'm saying if you if you didn't have the if we didn't have the Bible, there's there's no way you would know about those things. Just as you know, Muslims would know about Allah without the Quran or any other religion that's centered around a religious text. So I appreciate what you're saying about we. we Christians elevating the Bible, but you you could not be one without that book, sure. and that's how you know everything about the Judeo-Christian God and his uh, son, Jesus, and his prophets. You, you wouldn't know anything about any of that, and if so, you were born in China a 1,000 years ago, you, and there were Bibles, you still wouldn't know anything about that, and you would have died never hearing
0: that. And if I was born in 1980, I'd be a Western secular relativist. You might, might would be. <laughs> so I, one of the things that I would say to that is, I mean, that's Charles Taylor, a secular age in his history of the Reformation. That's why I was saying I would be Catholic probably because everybody was. But mm-hmm. the Bible was not the centerpiece of the Catholic story. Eucharist was. Like but, but communion There would was. be no
1: Catholicism without the New Testament writings.
0: No, that's I mean. not true. So, I mean, there what? There what? there's not uh, – Let me let me say this modestly again. Um, so the New Testament, the way we have it, is like third century, right? Like Council of Nicaea and all that. So the Christian faith is blowing and going for three hundred something years, based on uh, a collection of what they consider to be historical documents, and um, so, but they're eyewitness kind of like testimonies, and they're they're not history the way we think of history that's a modern kind of innovation. They're, they're a theological autobiography, or theological biographies. And, um, but they didn't have that. And they did think, you know, they, they think in story terms. Mm-hmm. So the Bible is authoritative the way that if you have, you know, uh, a play of Shakespeare dug up, and it's five acts, and the fourth act is missing. That's how the Bible is authoritative, not as a list of rules, but a list of like, th- okay, this is a story we find ourselves in, and here's the parts we play. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah.
1: You know, the first the first few generations they were telling oral stories, and right. what we know about, I mean, this is this is not really up for debate. What we know about oral stories is they get changed every generation until they're written down. Once they're written down. Then they don't get changed as much, even though they still do get changed. But, but, but if if the Bible had never been written down, the stories we would have now would be totally different than the ones that the first century people heard. And um, I, again, I just if if it had not been written down, then you wouldn't know any. I mean, you wouldn't know anything about this stuff. If
0: can we, can I push back just a touch there? Sure.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So
0: I think like. One of the things that modern people have is they, we have a little bit of hubris when it comes to like assuming things about the ancient world. I actually think oral societies were very, very effective at communicating, transmitting information uh, accurately. So, you know, I think we think like when you, we invented Gutenberg, all the people before then were like dummies, and you know, we played a telephone game, like the way that you know your home. Phone number when you were a kid, but you don't know your girlfriend's phone number right now, you know, like that yeah. that kind of thing. I think we're we're taking who we are and and the kind of cultural assumptions we have and applying it back then. So I think they were pretty good at passing that on. So that's just my pushback. Like I think I think the Bible as it is can be trusted for what it was trying to do. Okay. Um, source Fair. criticism, text criticism. It's not like but it's not like it's not comparable to the Quran in the sense that it's not making those kind of claims like the Quran can't be translated effectively that's something that is a tenet of the mm-hmm. Islamic faith. Um, the Bible you know it's just it's yeah. a different category um,
1: I, I, I love how Luke it's Luke that begins basically hey I went out and I did a little research about yeah that's Jesus, it and here's here's what I found. Here's what mm-hmm. I found out. I love that because he's not claiming anything other than I'm just going to go out and get the facts. I mean, he, he's, he's a modern historian basically in that
0: sense. That's right. Um, it, it, in yeah. his first century sense. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's – and he's doing that for skeptics and God lovers yeah. alike. Um, okay, one last thing. So a secular age, I commend it to you. It's a Char- Charles Taylor um, or – James K.A. Smith is a philosopher who wrote like a primer on it called How Not to Be Secular. Um, He One of the things that they're going to both say is that the modern world is disenchanted. And because of this disenchantment, we have a lot of mental health problems and all kinds of other stuff because we are kind of enchanted people or we hunger for it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things they say is that it's not a choice between being enchanted and not being enchanted, but a choice of enchantments. And so like C.S. Lewis in his, I think it was weight of glory sermon. Do you remember him saying this in post-Christian Europe? He said, um, do you think I am weaving a spell? If so, remember your fairy tales, children. Um, Spells can be spoken to break spells as much as cast them. Hmm. And so part of, part of, this, this is just my perception. I'm only human, and I am not. You know, I'm not making a case for being smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. But one one of the things that I think, if if my take on the last five hundred years of human history is close to accurate, is this: we're under a spell. Western people are under a spell, and. It's kind of like this. Faith is a priori, and not faith is a priori. Like, it's before you get to the facts, before you get to the history, before you get to the science. Because there's a lot of great physicists and scientists and historians who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, And once you make that a priori decision, you're under some kind of spell. And so what I see Charles Taylor's read of history is kind of like today in Little Rock, it's a very overcast day. Clouds are everywhere. And I was driving my daughter to school today and I said, faith for you is going to be harder than it was for me. But here's what I want you to know. The, this overcast, you know, we've gone on plane trips together. When we fly over the clouds, what you would discover is that the sun was always shining and I feel like one of the one of the things I'm trying to work through is because I, I don't think this is all up to me or anything but I do think there is a God and I think this God is alive and active I hear you saying you spent time trying to hear the voice of God mm-hmm. and that that breaks my heart because that's exact here's what I would say Joel everything you did was exactly what I would have done like I can't I can't um, fault you for anything. Because I. whenever people struggle with faith, I try to get them to be quiet and be still. But Charles Taylor says, because of the buffered self, because of the overcast skies, it's really heavy. And the Bible, one of the things the Bible says, the primary symptom of idolatry, which I would say culturally, not individually, but is that we have ears to hear, but we cannot hear, and we have eyes to see, and we cannot see. That yeah, we does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I've actually thought, you know, if if I am wrong here, and I'm pretty sure I'm not, but if I'm wrong here, and there actually is a God, and I go and stand before Him, you know, whenever the New Testament doesn't agree exactly when that will be, <laughs> um, but but whatever I do, if, if I do, I'm going to tell Him I I did. I did the best I could with this brain you gave me, and with the knowledge that I I had of the world, I did the I made the best decision I possibly could. Yeah. So um, I've often thought that's that's what I'll say.
0: Have you ever read the last Have you ever read Chronicles of Narnia* by C.S. Lewis?
1: Yeah, long, long. You remember the
0: last yeah. battle? Uh, no, man. So my son asked me if Gandhi was going to heaven a few years ago, and I said, "Let me read." Let me finish Narnia for you. And in the end, there's this, like, it's th- it's thinly veiled racism in the last battle. You know, different time, you know, C.S. Lewis sure. is... Uh, but Tash, which I, I'm pretty sure is Aula, um is there's this soldier for Tash. And um, in the end, when everything is, when Aslan is on the move and all this or as the soldier walks in to meet Tash, and it's actually Allah, um, he falls to his knees, and he is... or a, a, It's not Allah, it's Aslan. Um, and C.S. Lewis says he deserved a better God than that. And it, it's actually way more poetic and better than I'm saying right now. But it was that what he wanted, and deep in his heart, he was open to it. yeah, And yeah. he could... Dallas Wheeler has this line, "God will, I think God will allow everyone into heaven who can stand it. And I like
1: that a lot. That's awesome, yeah.
0: I, yeah, I, I think That's it's good. true. So, man, Joel, thank you so much for this. This was a lively, fun conversation for me. I hope I didn't say anything offensive to okay. anybody listening, but I, I loved getting to, I loved you pushing back, and so thank <laughs> well, you for taking your time to do this. Absolutely, Jonathan. This was a lot of fun, and I I appreciate it uh, very much. Thanks for listening to Bonafide. If you like what you've heard, please share with your friends and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts.